0: Welcome back to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host Hunter McWaters. If you're new, welcome. Thanks for listening. And today I have an episode with a guy who um, his family has been around the hunting industry, I guess for like three generations now. And um, they have a large media company. Um, If you're kind of familiar with Western hunting and um, and, and Western hunting content, you'll definitely be familiar with them. But if you're like me, uh, if you're from out East, you may have heard the name, but not know too much about them. But this week's episode is with Ike Eastman of Eastman's hunting journals. So, uh, like I said, his grandfather started back in the day, uh, doing wildlife photography and stuff and, um, videography. Um, as we discussed in the episode, like even with like before there was audio um, on video, so he was making like silent films. Um, So their family has been involved in outdoor media for a long time, um, and he's very knowledgeable and connected and kind of has his finger very much on the pulse of what's going on um, out west. So we get into some great um, topics, including corner crossing uh, in Wyoming, which is where the Eastmans are from, and so, we get into a lot of good stuff on this episode. I think it's a very informative episode, and Ike's a great guy. It was one of those podcasts that just kind of flew by. Um, so, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Uh, I want to go ahead and start putting the bug in your ear that the Hunter's Quest TV show is launching very soon. So, um, the first episode is actually gonna be coming out um, June 26th, Monday morning. So there's a few different air times. There's June 26th, Monday at 6.30 a.m. Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Eastern on June 26th. And then there's an overnight airing, I believe like Thursday at like 3.30 a.m. or something. And then uh, July 1st, um, the first episode will air at 12 noon Eastern. So, Hope you guys get a chance to check it out. I'm really excited, I've been working really hard. The first episode is an awesome episode. Uh, It's from my antelope hunt where we filled two tags. And um, it's a really cool episode. I've been working really hard on it. So if you guys have Sportsman Channel, hope you'll tune in uh, Monday morning either at 6.30 or 11.30 Eastern. Um, If you don't, um, you can get the Sportsman Channel on Fubo or um, you know other linear cable options also it should go digital on my outdoor tv afterwards and then all my episodes later in the year or early next year are going to be available on youtube but i really hope that uh, if you have sportsmen or um, even if you have a friend or a family member that you could go and watch tv over at their place on that saturday i'd really love uh, for everybody to tune into that and let me know what you think so really excited for that I hope you guys enjoy that. Um, please continue to share the podcast. Um, you know, I've been working really hard on the show, but also, you know, I'm still pumping out a podcast every week. So it's not easy. It's a lot of work. Um, and uh, I hope that if you guys are fans of the content, that you will help me out by sharing this with friends and family. If you have not yet, please subscribe to the podcast and my YouTube channel. Check me out on social media and leave me a written. Rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, that's really big for helping me get to the word out. And I want to leave, or I want to um, give a couple shout outs here to some folks that have given me reviews lately. So if you are listening, uh, Rugged Built 83 Long Shot, Miggy 0653, and Popcorn Sutton Was My Neighbor. If you're one of those guys, hit me up on Instagram, send me a message, send me your mailing address, and I will drop some swag in the mail for you. Uh, Thank you for the support, and if you haven't, please leave me a rating and review, share the podcast, and subscribe to my channels, and don't forget to check out the premiere of the Hunter's Quest TV show, which will start June 26th, Monday morning, 6.30am, 11.30am Eastern, and then July 1st at 12 noon. Eastern. Let me know what you think, and thanks. We'll see you on the next one. All right, guys. Welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. Today,
1: I'm joined by Ike Eastman. How you doing, man? Good, good, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on, and and, uh, hopefully... Hopefully uh, your audience enjoys a conversation about whatever we're gonna talk about. <laughs> I got
0: a list here. I got some good topics, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, so if you guys don't know, um, Ike is part of the Eastman's hunting, I guess what do you call it like a family of brands or do you just call it yeah. the journal or
1: <laughs> <laughs> we call it Eastman's because it just yeah. doesn't kind of even encompass everything, but it's it's podcasts and TV shows. Yeah, uh, linear tv shows youtube tv shows and of course the two um, the two journals that that we produce every month and a, a plethora of other things but yeah. that's the main, main main portion of it a media i guess a media
0: company would be kind of yeah um so yeah i've had i've had uh, brian barney i've had scott and i've had dan on the podcast so oh figure let's just the, bring the it home. best
1: for last
0: exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah man, so but we were just talking before we got going about this tough bear hunt I had, and i I wanted to wait till we were rolling to ask you, um but you're the first person I've talked to since getting back, and I don't have a ton of experience with bear hunting, but it was such a tough hunt. Do you think like bears are susceptible to
1: winter kill like ungulates? No no, um, no, I don't think so because um you know obviously they they hibernate especially black bears are true hibernators grizzly bears are a, a hybrid hibernator and they're not they're not uh, true hybrid hibernators um but black bears i wouldn't say that's as big a problem in fact uh winters long winters is they're it's actually kind of good for them because mm. they're scavengers and so what'll happen you know is they come out and they'll graze on grass and and um you know that type of stuff to remove that plug yeah um that that stops them up obviously i don't know for those that don't know um Fecal a bear plug. yeah yep yeah, it's a colon <laughs> plug and it it keeps keeps everything from moving during the winter and yeah. uh it 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 I feel like I get or,
0: that sometimes eating a bunch of mountain house for like 10 days straight. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a different kind of plug. Um, but no, it's the same, same thing. And then, and then when they come out, they'll eat a bunch of green grass and all types of stuff. And, and I had one guy, a, a Baird guide uh, in Canada tell him, tell me, and he's hundred percent right. I never thought of it this way, but it's the same when they first come out. Uh, it's the same thing as if you've ever had a newborn baby, it's like, the exact same yeah. material. It's like tar. black. It's yeah. yeah. That's, that's it's horrible stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So then when they, after they come out and and they're done doing that uh, you know, all the carcasses, the winter keel is actually good for them. And Makes so sense. Um, you know, the, the ebbs and flows of ungulates versus predators and just the natural cycle of them is the ungulates have, you know, struggle like that. The predator population will blow up and so these bears will have you know they'll have multiple cubs in fact i saw uh, cu- a a sow this fall or this spring that she had four cubs and it's really wow. rare for a sow to have four two pretty common but four is That's, yeah something
0: uh, so I guess I can't use that as an excuse for why I didn't kill a bear. <laughs>
1: well, no, but you know what you can do. It, it, you know, you were saying it was you know snow everywhere and eighty degrees. Yeah, it, those those bears may not have come out. It all has to do with the uh, ground temperature. And mm-hmm. so if that if the ground temperature doesn't warm up to a certain temperature, it won't kickstart them. And so yeah. you, you you may have just been early yeah we hit
0: every challenge imaginable, like uh I almost drowned crossing a flooded river in a pack raft. um we had washed out roads we had uh just we had snow, we couldn't get back. like we were literally like post through like knee deep snow and sweating oh it's like seventy eight degrees. It's so weird, man, but um
1: <laughs> who would yeah. you go up there with?
0: It was just me and uh my my cameraman um Luke Dusenberry. I don't know if you know him, but um I know that name. Yeah, he's he's done a lot of work in the industry, and um, he works with like Loophold and okay. Mountain Ops, and I don't know a bunch of guys. But cool. Yeah, man. Um, so you pro- you don't know this, but I'm actually launching a a show on Sportsman. It's starting Q3, so in like a couple oh, cool. weeks. July. So we. Yeah, yeah. Technically, it's like it's the first week of July, but it starts like this last couple of days of june but
1: yeah i think it's the 28th is the first it's weird they start on mondays and so it's right. like the 28th of june or some weird thing but yeah. what's the uh what's the show on is it just is it a hunting content yeah so it's uh
0: it's it's kind of like mirroring my podcast which is it's called the hunter's quest and it's right. basically about you know kind of diy western hunting from a east coast person cuz i live in virginia from that perspective and just kind of showing the journey, um, and like the progression and, you know, like sometimes coming out with a tiny deer or not filling a tag or, you know what I mean? Just like that whole thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And then I'm kind of, um, to make it a little different, I'm kind of, I'm sort of experimenting with this like hybrid podcast TV show format. Mm -hmm. Um, so like I'll bring on my camera guy, for example like from this hunt I'll bring on Luke and we'll kind of like after the commercial breaks talk about like you know maybe spend like a minute after each break talking about like our top 4 like takeaways from the hunt and then kind of cut back to the hunt and um Oh that's cool. And then I worked in some other to get a couple more episodes in the lineup I worked in some pot some some um interview based shows with uh, I did one with Remy Warren, one with Brian call and one with Jana Waller and one with Jason Matzinger. And we like kind of broke down a hunt they did and, and then like used some of their footage to kind of, and just talked about it and kind of lessons learned and that
1: pointers and stuff like that. Oh, that's cool. So it's kind of like a, uh, Oh, the YouTube, the YouTube, uh, that I think is black rifle. I think they either do it or they sponsor it where it's, you know, it's uh, Navy seals breaking down you know, this movie or that movie and talk yeah, kind about of. if it's legit or
0: not. I haven't seen that, but yeah,
1: it's, yeah. kind of like that. So um, you, you, did t- that, that. It's like reporting on your own stupidity in the field. So here's what I did dumb here or here's kind what of. worked. And, and I, and you know, I thought would work and it did. That's, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause um, yeah. Like my cameraman, we did like an antelope hunt, but the first, the first episode is an antelope hunt that I did on a 0.100% draw unit. And it was me and my cameraman who'd never been out West ever. And, oh, um, and it was like, I just want to show like, you can, and we, we, we killed a buck and a doe in two days. Um, we got, this is the buck I shot in that hunt. And then I kind okay. of broke it down with him and it was uh it was cool, man. So neat. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. But anyway, enough about me. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you're doing uh, qu- quarter three and quarter four. Yeah. Square root. That's very cool.
0: Yeah, man. What night are you on? Um, So that's a good question. My main, I think my anchor slot is actually Saturday at like noon, which is like not great, but it's not like terrible either. I feel like maybe a lot of guys will be kind of coming in from deer camp and lunchtime and maybe, maybe catch it or whatever. But then I think I have, I think I got to check, but my, my nights, I can't remember. I should know that. But uh, the main one I'm kind of telling people is Saturday at noon.
1: We're doing a shameless plug right here, Hunter. You, you, oh, totally. You should know, you should know the details,
0: <laughs> dude. I know I was not prepared, man. Jeez, no one, no one normally asks me questions. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. That's what happens when you get other guys that get on that, that have their own podcast. I want to talk about you. I don't care about me. I know all that. It's pretty boring in my world.
0: <laughs> no, I actually like that. I, I, I actually, I feel like when you enter into a podcast, people like assume that they can't ask you stuff, and so right. I actually like to tell people like, "Hey, like, feel free to." you know it's a conversation feel free to ask me stuff so i like it yeah. you know it's good yeah Comes uh, across more natural too 100% so um but i did want to ask just briefly i know you're probably like so bored of talking about this but just for my audience <laughs> just in a nutshell could you okay. give us just a little bit a background on Eastmans because coming from the east coast like i know i've always like kind of known the name Eastmans you know but like um i don't think Many guys maybe that are from out here, Midwest, maybe are as familiar with Eastman's as some guys that are, you know, born and raised out in the West. Um, So I'll just like just like a little brief kind of history and then kind of where you guys are now.
1: Yeah, I'll give you the elevator pitch is what I call it. Um, (laughs) Nice. So my grandfather, Gordon Eastman, uh, started filming in 1957. And wow. when I say filming, he's filming wildlife in Alaska and mm. this is before audio. So they were, they were, they call them uh, no talkies, but he would, oh, wow. he would film this wildlife and he was guiding up there and film this wildlife and he'd bring the footage down to lower 48 and he would travel around and live narrate this in front of audiences. And I, I wow. run into guys constantly that are like, man, you know, they're 70 years old and they're like, man, when I was a kid, I sat in the auditorium in Spokane, Washington or Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and I listened to your grandfather. And it's the first time I'd ever seen a polar bear or a wow. caribou or dull sheep or whatever. That's so cool. Um, and so he started that and and then kind of he got into building theatricals, wildlife theatricals. Uh, it took him to filming with Walt Disney uh, just filming wildlife for Walt Disney. and hmm. he, he had a ton of adventures. He was a very our family is very adventurous. Um, we're all about, you know the experience, not about the trophy or or yeah. you know any of that. It's really about the experience. And so um he he had crashed on the ice in uh, sixty, I think it was sixty two or sixty seven maybe. Uh, crashed on the ice in Alaska in the a little winter and him, another guy survived three days out there on the ice floating around yeah. until he got saved. Um, it was, yeah, that's a crazy, crazy story. It's called the, <laughs> he documented it in a movie called North of the sun, um, where he sat, spent two winters with the Eskimo people. He knew that, um, this is not going to be an elevator pitch. Apparently, um, <laughs> <so, laughs> let's we're in Vegas and we're going a hundred stories. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he documented what the Eskimos uh, how they their way of life cuz he he saw and knew that that their way of life was changing rapidly and going mm. away and so he he documented you know this, the dog sleds and he actually documented a whale hunt and they were able to take a whale and the whole nine yards wow. polar bear hunts and and uh, seal hunts the every, everything to how they make mukluks and why they're superior and all of that stuff. And so That's awesome. Um, then he did a bunch of other stuff with wolves and, uh, he ended up with three generations of wolves uh, in captivity and studied them. Um, then he took, uh, in the late seventies, he took all of these films. I think there was 13 of them in total. And it was when VHS came out and, you know, the movie store, you know, the old blockbusters Mm -hmm. before blockbuster, every little town had a movie store and you go in and rent a, a VHS for the, for the night and. Um, he took these theatricals, put them on VHS, and sold them to these movie stores to be rented. Hmm. So then there was another, you know, insurgence of people getting to, to hear his stories and and his adventures, you know, for guys like you and I, and when we were kids watching that. And and my dad was helping him by selling these videos all over the country, and he was sitting in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania at a show, um, it used to be called, well, it's still called the great American outdoor show. It's owned mm-hmm. by the NRA now, but back then it was just a, a local show and it was, it was the largest hunting show on the planet. He was selling these VHS videos to guys and people kept where well, they would find out he's from out West and they would just hammering with questions like, how do you hunt out there? I've only wanted to shoot an elk. I've always wanted to see a mule deer. I've always, mm-hmm. you know, bighorn sheep, all that stuff. So, just because he was tired of answering the same question over and over again, he just made a one sheet, you know, frequently asked questions and he'd just hand it to him. So, so they weren't <laughs> sitting there clogging up his booth. He could go sell videos. So his one sheet turned into two sheets, turned into a little <laughs> newsletter that he did on a quarterly basis. And it turned into a magazine. So that all started okay. in 1987. And he took the magazine and grew it, um, the hard way, which was literally sitting at booths in every, you know, every show big hunting show around the country Mm -hmm. selling subscriptions and videos. And then in nine, he, he grew it to, you know, it was pretty big in the nineties. Well, it's still big, but it was, it was the heyday of printing and the heyday of people reading stuff. And then he started the bow hunting journal in 99 and started our TV show in uh, year 2000. And it's been on the Outdoor Channel ever since then. Uh, my anchor st- slot is at 9:30 p.m. on uh, Thursday nights. Okay, And sweet. we have a couple others too, but that's Q three, Q four as well. Uh, no, we're t- we're a unique one. We're on 52 weeks all oh, year. Wow, okay, yeah, sweet. Yeah, we build a pile of content in this yeah. in this building. Um, and then so a fast forward, I I was a banker for a number of years, uh, and uh, was doing credit analysts for a big local bank here and then my parents asked me because my parents don't have educations they they were high school educated my dad was in vietnam war came back and was an outfitter and then kind of went into this whole thing they got the business got big enough that they needed some skill sets and so they asked me to come back and uh, help run it and then in 2008 i bought it from them and that's when 2008 was when the digital era so that that's the big that was the big transition between traditional media, which was the magazines, the linear TV show to more digital, which is YouTube and, uh, you know, electronic email newsletters. And, uh, of course podcasts weren't around until, you know, later like 2012, 14. But I took in 2008 and jumped on the digital side of the world, uh, st- still building the same kind of content. We just deliver it different. Yeah. Um, you know, I was sitting in a fly fishing boat with actually the guy that was printing our magazine and it was in 2010 and the world was starting to fall apart. You know, the whole housing bubble Bart market thing. Right. And, uh, I said, man, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. Michael, I, you know, the seems like Prince dead. And he goes, no, actually you're going to be fine because people still want the content. They still want the information, they're just not gonna. They're just not gonna read it in a printed form the same way that they always, that they have previously. I went. Right. Oh my gosh, that means I just have to figure out how they're gonna read stuff and how they you know deliver it that way. Mm-hmm. And so we started our our YouTube channel and started you know the digital e news and then of course went into the podcast world with Eastman's Elevated and uh, now we have six podcasts. Wow. Um, Eastman Elevated is the anchor one. It's the flagship. And then I have my own called Eastman's Hunting Journal podcast edition where I interview guys like you and find out your story. Oh, cool. Um, and, and why you hunt and what you're going to be thinking about on your deathbed. And, and I get to interview really cool people, congressmen and, and Rich Froning from, from uh, CrossFit nice. and yeah, yeah. just, you know, really cool people. And then we have a predator one we have a uh, wingman which is all wing shooting mm-hmm. and then we have uh, the hunt- western huntsman which is a kind of the political side uh if you will of hunting and he he is not afraid to get whoever on and discuss the you know <laughs> predators wolf management grizzly bears uh corner crossing whatever the hot topic I was about is about to it, say that <laughs> yep yeah it's the big one right now yep um so Yeah. So that's kind of us in a nutshell. I got a a huge team of people that, that build content and uh, build relationships and, you know, manage everything from my crazy schedule to podcast stuff like this. You, of course you have Scott on and your audience knows Dan, uh, who's, who's the, the brains behind beyond the grid, which is our YouTube uh, TV show. And then Brian Barney, which is Eastman elevated. And, and of course, Scott's the, uh, he's I call him the new development business development, but he does all kinds of of the weird things or if if we find a redheaded stepchild, we're like, you know that's a great project for Scott so
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. actually, it's funny Dan, like Dan's like I think the number three most downloaded episode of my show or something, or like two oh. right behind Aaron Snyder or something I think. <laughs> Oh, he'll
1: be he'll be upset. He's behind Snyder.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's,
1: that's funny. funny. Well, you guys uh, must have had a great conversation then.
0: Yeah, I guess it's. I don't know. I don't know exactly why. Cause like he's kind of um, he's kind of a sleeper. Like like total killer, awesome hunter. But like maybe not as flashy of a name as some guys or something. I don't know. But like um, yeah, it just did really well. So
1: there's not a lot of guys. I will. I'm gonna brag on him a little bit right now. He's really humble. Um, he's a lot of energy. I, sometimes I call him Yoda or I call him Odie. Remember Garfield and Odie? He's just oh, yeah. like super energetic. And you know, you'd be telling him a story and it's like, oh, I had pizza last night. No, you had pizza last night. Was it like pepperoni? Oh my gosh. That's so freaking cool. That's Dan. <laughs>
0: well, that's not like Brian he, too.
1: Yeah, it is. But he is one, he is arguably one of the best killers in the field. Definitely one of the best elk hunters. Um, that's awesome. You know, last fall, he he was able to, to with his bow, kill a, a 360, a 340, and a 380 bull, uh, mm. all DIY public land. You Jeez. know, just, just, he is unbelievably an elk hunter. He's, 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 he's he and I hunted, um, because I had an elk tag, public land elk tag last year. And, uh, we hunted probably three weeks, uh, not in a, in a row, but three weeks total. And, right. And, uh, he is, unbelievable with with elk so he is a great hunter and he cool, and comes across pretty cool yeah um well yeah
0: that's he. yeah it was a great podcast and something we kind of like alluded to earlier that i kind of wanted to get your thoughts on was um you know the because I, I did i heard a podcast speaking of snyder i heard a podcast you did with snyder like kind of back in the day well not back in the day
1: but like 2018
0: oh yeah and, uh, and, uh, I just did are- another
1: one with him here on, on his podcast. I don't know, April. Okay. Uh, March, yeah. Something like that.
0: I started listening to that one, but it was like more about him. And I wanted to like hear more about you. So, um, <laughs> I'll listen to that one later. Um, cause I, cause I had a really good conversation with Aaron and then I, I was on Kefaro cast too. Um, and it was funny because on my podcast I like put him on the spot and like asked him if he believed in God and stuff.
1: <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, how did that go? Let me it guess. Went, he started doing the little nervous, uh, <laughs> like looking for an exit.
0: <laughs> yeah, and well, it's the number one most downloaded show I've ever done, and uh, and then he had me on Kufaru Cast and was just grilling me about Christianity the whole time, and it was like oh, awesome. it was awesome. But um, uh, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about like the progression of a hunter because that's something you guys talked about a little bit. And, um, it's something that it's kind of a weird balance because, you know, in, in the outdoor media industry and stuff like that, obviously like big animals, you know, sell magazines, big animals, get the clicks on YouTube and stuff like that. Right. Um, but also I think, um, a lot of guys, especially like public land, DIY type content, like, Um, they want to see something more, maybe, maybe more relatable or I don't know. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Like, but for example, I did a really tough, my first mule deer hunt ever, very tough hunt back country. You know, we were in there like seven days and we didn't even see an antlered buck until like the fifth or sixth day we finally did. It was a little guy, but I was like, you know what? This is my first mule deer ever. We've been working our butts off like I'm going to go shoot this deer. And I did, and I've kind of been like, you know, I wonder how, you know, the people in the industry are going to like take this, you know, are people going to be like mad that I shot this small deer? I'll show him to you right here. I mean, he's he's a baby.
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Which what state was that?
0: Idaho. Oh, okay. Um but uh no anyway, but it is my first Good mule boy. deer ever. What's that?
1: You must know somebody in Idaho. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh man. Um, no, I just, just happened to be, I do know people there, but anyway. Um, so anyway, I just want to get your thoughts on that. And then, um, you know, how do you think that relates to creating content and and that kind of thing?
1: All right. So you asked me, I think you asked me three different questions. Number one, (laughs) uh, you asked me about the, the progression of a hunter and my thoughts on that. Number two, you talked about trophy hunting and, and, and you know, what what is trophy hunting important or or not? And then you also asked me about why, you know, why are are people enamored with large trophies and and why does that work? Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna answer each one of them. Okay. I'm gonna answer the first one. Let's talk about the progression of a trophy hunter. Actually, the progression of a hunter. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be trophy, it's just that's kind of where you end up. So one of the things, I'm, one of the things that, that has been misnomered in the, in, the, in the world, not just in hunting, but in the world, is that trophies hunting is poaching. And it's not. And we'll get into that in a second. Yeah. But what happens with a hunter is you get into it as – because you have to start somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. You have to learn how to swing a golf club before you can go golfing. Trophy hunting or hunting, you kind of have to learn the basics. And even if you have a mentor that takes you out, God, I hope you do, because that just, you know, the learning curve just flattens it so much better. But if you don't, it's still kind of the same thing. You go out for meat procurement and you're like, okay, the the first goal is I just want to shoot something, bring it home, learn how to bring it home, learn how to process it, learn how to cook Mm -hmm. it and put it on the table and feed my family, which is really the driver. Um, That's the driver for me, that's the driver for my 12 year old daughter. That's the driver for, you know, anybody. I don't care if you've killed the the world slam. That's really the driver that started the whole thing. Yeah. And once you've taken, uh, you know, let's, let's, I'm going to just use elk hunting, for example, once you've taken a cow elk and you've, you've learned how to do all that, because it's a big job. You get a cow on the, on the ground and, you hope you're not four miles away from, from a vehicle or a road and you, know, you get them yeah. on the ground and you go, holy buckets, this is a lot of work yeah. just after it happened. I mean, it's a cow. Yeah, it's a cow, <laughs> literally. It's a yeah. full fine cow, about yeah. the same amount of meat. And, <laughs> and you get, you know, tear it down and, and, and pack it out and then process it and package it. And by the time you get to the, the table, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But what happens in the field is you're like, okay, if I'm going to do all that work, I'm gonna see if I can. I'm gonna I'm gonna take it to the next step because human nature is competitive, right? That's just yeah. who we are. If you say you're not competitive, I call you a liar because everybody is competitive. It's if, even if it's doesn't matter what you're doing. It's a competitive, even if it's a self-competitive. Like yeah. I want to do better than I did last year. I want to run faster. I want to sure. jump higher. Whatever that it is against me, and I don't care what everyone else is doing, but I want to do it against myself. So you go okay. I want to let's see if I can kill a bull this year. You know, you kill a couple cows, and then you, you're like, I'm gonna see if I can kill a bull. Then you kill a bull, and uh, it's probably a spike or a branch antler and bull, something that stood around long enough for you to learn some lessons. Yeah. And once you've done that a couple times, you're like, okay, I am going for that six point. I, yeah. I know I can do a six point because it seems like you know that's just naturally that's harder. Right. You know, there's one. One six-point bull or five six-point bull and, and three hundred head of elk, you know. So it's I'm narrowing my scope of yeah. target. I'm I'm also matching wits and I'm matching you know skill set against something that is it's in their living room. They know every tree, they know every bush, they know what's on the other side of that ridge. And I am here to tell you, they can get there three times to ten times faster than you. Mm-hmm. And so you're matching that. And you, you kill a six point, like, holy cow, that was unbelievable. And, and you put him up on the wall and every time you look at that, that 3d picture, which is a mount or a skull or, you know, in the, in the background, you have a mount of a really nice white tail. You look at that and I bet you, you can, you can probably almost smell the smell, taste the taste, oh, feel yeah. what was happening at that moment. That's why guys do it. And then you go, okay, next one, I'm I'm going to try and kill. Well, okay, elk going six point, seven point. Well, that doesn't really matter because I've seen six point bulls that are, you know, two seventy right. score and six point bulls that are three eighty. It's a hundred inches of bone difference. So how else do I measure it? Well, there's this little these 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 guys called Boone and Crockett that came up with a <laughs> the measuring stick. Right. And so then we start classing them. Okay, yeah, so yeah. it's a three eighty bull. There's a three seventy bull. And you go, okay, I'm gonna kill you know my six first six. First four, five, six points were under 300. I'm gonna hit that 300 mark, and then I'm gonna yeah. hit the 330 mark, and then I'm gonna hit the 340, and it progresses. Now, it doesn't. It, it actually ends. It, it, and I've watched my grandfather do this. I've watched my father do this, and I've watched other guys do this. And I've watched some guys that are headed that direction, even if they admit it or not. The the ending of it is. Is this my dad? I'll tell my dad's story. He said he was sitting around, we were deer hunting, and he had killed a really nice mule deer. And he walks over and hands me his gun. Like, what's up? He goes, I think I'm done. I go, like today or going to bed or what? He goes, No, I'm I think I'm done shooting deer. He said, I'll come down here and hang out with you guys. It's a lot of you know male camaraderie and it's a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, but I don't, I don't need to kill another deer. I'm good with it. You just give me what you know, half a years and and your mother and I will be good and and we'll be fine. And I just, I'm not interested in that anymore. He still wants to learn. He still learns things about wildlife. He's, he still hunts a little bit. Um, but he's not, you know, he, he was crazy about mule deer at one time. You know, Mm -hmm. he couldn't get enough of it and he was constantly stretching his skills and learning new things. And And then he, he got into this, what I call the, the sunset cruise and he's taken wildlife photos and he's taken, you know, learning about Buffalo and, and, you know, their rut and takes a ton of photos about that. And then he goes into grizzly bears and he takes a ton of photos of grizzly bears and, and lives with them and just kind of, you know, it's just the natural progression of stuff. Even the native Americans did the same thing.
0: I feel like that a lot of guys, instead of embracing that journey, they feel like they got to skip ahead and, like, they're like, oh, it's my first mule deer hunt. It's got to be, you know, 170, 180 or bust or, you know, I got to go out and get a 350 bowl or whatever. It's like um, – and I think – and not, not that I'm ragging on, like, hunting media because I'm in hunting media and I love it. But, like, um, I don't know. I think that more guys maybe should embrace that progression and, like, be okay with going out and getting a spike on their first
1: elk, you know? yeah. It, it, you know, there's two types of hunters. Um, there's collectors, and then there's uh, there's people that, that are focused. And when you get into the, you know, that stage, I was telling you that, okay, I'm going to shoot a 360, you know, a 360 bull or a 340 usually is where it starts. Then there's guys who are like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot every single thing I can. That's, that, uh, is elk related. And, and sometimes I'll shoot little ones cause that's what's available. And sometimes I'm going to have the opportunity to shoot 380 cause I just, I'm going you know, to specialize in elk. Then there's guys that are collectors and uh, often your media types become collectors. I don't know, probably because it's uh, different personality types in order to be, um, you know, a lot of, I shouldn't say in order to be, but a lot of the times guys that have a huge ego become collectors because that's, that's what feeds their ego. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so they're, they say, okay, I'm going to shoot the biggest bull ever. And then I'm going to go shoot the biggest buck ever. And then I'm going to go shoot a a biggest Ram ever. And I, and, and I'm going to figure out how to either pay for it, that to, to flatten the learning curve, um, or, you know, sometimes, and and there's people out there in history, that's one thing that we have is three generations. I know a lot of guys that have went down the road and can't take the pressure of being in the media and producing and performing. And then they start cutting corners and then they start cutting law corners. And then they mm. end up with burying heads in the background, <laughs> in the backyard because they're Jeez. all poached to yeah. stuff like that. Okay. So those are collectors and, and there is something to say that, you know, without those guys, uh, there's a ton of money that flows in, into conservation because of that. That's true. As long as they don't take the next step and right. try and perform crazy. Um, but then, but the, the journey, I believe the journey is where the majority of people are that, that, that slow roll journey is where the average hunter is. Um, and the average hunter doesn't have a TV show or a podcast. The average hunter's you know, they're doing it on the weekends, three day weekends. You know, they're, they're working 49 weeks a year for that two weeks of, of hunting yeah. that they get in the fall. And, and the other week, their wife makes them sit on a beach somewhere or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, that's, that's my take on hunt on the hunters progression. Yeah. Trophy hunting, um, is kind of folds into that. The reason that trophy hunting has got a bad name is because people, people thought trophy hunting and poaching were the same thing right the mainstream media has used those uh simultaneously in the same sentence that if you're a trophy hunter you're poaching and that, that is a hundred percent not true a hundred percent not true in fact there's two ways that man- to manage wildlife one is for for the health of the herd and so you let's say you're at your your carrying capacity in this area for elk you want to manage the health of that herd so that sickness or starvation or all these things don't go in and take the herd out. One of the ways you do that is you kill the the male spe- or male of that species at the peak of their of their life before they go downhill and before they get um, to the point where they're damaging the genetics pool. Because yeah. if you think about it you know, that pool is pretty small. So you want to diversify that pool as much as possible. Whereas mm-hmm. if you have one bull that lives 13 years and he's got the same, you know, 20 or right. 50 head of cows, that pool gets really, really shallow for sure. So you want to diversify that. Yeah. The other way in is, okay, we're above compared carrying capacity in this area. And so we want to, sh- we want to take out X amount of females and bulls so that we sh- uh, shrink that size of the herd. Um, trophy hunting you go okay. How do you know if you're killing mature males? The easiest way we've found so far that I can do in a matter of seconds, I can tell how old a bull is by just looking at his antler growth. Now, is there exceptions to that rule? 100. And there's also things you have to take into effect or account for things that affect them, like weather and drought and you know area and genetics and all that stuff. But typically. The easiest way to look at a mature male of any species is their antler or horn yep. growth size. And so the older the bull, the more mature the antlers. And I say mature, that doesn't mean they're three eighty bulls. That means that their that their antler growth is correct. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're if they got big, most bulls that have huge fronts and short backs are older bulls because they're on a defensive. Their antlers have become defensive, not hmm. offensive.
0: Interesting. Bulls that have
1: huge backs and short fronts are younger bulls because hmm. they're offensive. They're Interesting. the offense is played in the back. The defense is played in the front. Um, so and that, that was a really no, that's long cool. story. But my, my point Never is trophy that. hunting is not bad. Trophy hunting is, is one of the ways that we manage oh, yeah. wildlife.
0: I, I totally agree with you there and um, couldn't agree more. But here's a here's a conundrum for you. Um, so I'm on this progression, right? I haven't yep. killed an elk yet. Okay. Uh, my goal for this year is kill my first elk. I, I drew a Montana general rifle tag, which I'm stoked about. But then a week before that, I drew a like premium New Mexico muzzleloader tag <laughs> oh, for my boy. first elk hunt ever. So <laughs> it's kind of weird. Cause it's like, okay, it's going to be my first elk hunt ever. Normally I'm like, yeah, I'll shoot a raghorn or whatever. But this is like a, like, I think it was like a 1% draw unit or oh, something.
1: Wow. So that's going to be interesting dynamic. Is, <laughs> yeah. The good thing is I think you can hunt them the same year because if I'm correct, me if I'm wrong, but, is your is your muzzleloader season early is it in September
0: no so it's um it's uh
1: mid-October okay and then your elk is
0: yeah so the out. the timing is like amazing so I'm gonna the the New Mexico season ends on the 18th and then the Montana season opens on the 21st so I'll literally sure. be able to like finish the hunt drive to Montana and start the next one
1: well, the good thing is, by the time you get to Montana, you'll have learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe you don't see anything. Maybe the weather messes you up. I don't know, but who knows? Uh, yeah, that's a conundrum. Good, good for you, uh, Montana general elk. Uh, you know, with the rifles, it's still a chore. It's oh not, yeah. You know, it's not a, a premium tag. Uh, not mm-hmm. that that's a, any easier, but still right. elk hunting.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. Um... It's going to be interesting, but uh I'm looking forward to it, man. Um hopefully Lord willing. You're going
1: to you're going to do both of them DIY?
0: Yeah, that's the plan now. That's the plan. Perfect. Perfect. Um so yeah, I mean, I looked at the, the 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 New Mexico spot. It's there's a lot of roads in the unit mm-hmm. and I've talked to some guys that have hunted that unit and there's a lot of elk also and so um I thought about trying to get like a friend to help me you know um right but all my friends in the hunting industry are like don't want to go with me and <laughs> yeah. not hunt you know And yeah
1: pretty pretty busy that time of year <laughs> right so
0: i think i'm gonna take my cousin with me and who knows even less than i do but just for fun take my cousin with me <laughs> well, at least uh, you have another set of uh, strong legs yeah <laughs> for exactly about And he, he went with me on my first ever public land hunt here in Virginia. He went with me on my first ever, um, DIY public Western hunt, which is this antelope right here. So it's kind of like a cool story, you know, like, um, so I think it'd be, it'd be fun. Yeah. First
1: cousins first.
0: Yeah, man. And we're like, we're like brothers. So I think it'd be cool. Um, cool, man. Well, okay. I did want to, I have a few more questions. Um, trying to see which one i want to go to next because we don't have a ton more time but um what do you think okay well i just gotta ask because you're in wyoming you're up on all this stuff it's it's in the news corner crossing i'm gonna go ahead and just say right now i 100 percent think that we should be able to cross corners but i know it's a touchy issue especially with locals out there so i mean what are your thoughts on
1: it so corner crossing is a is number one it's really dynamic and and to say that hey this should be illegal or this should be illegal um i i'm not going to give you my opinion but i will tell you uh some of the pitfalls when this has happened not gonna give me your opinion
0: come on man. nope
1: not until (laughs) we'll see i might later (laughs) it'll probably it'll come out and you won't you it'll be apparent but I'm going to give you some of the dynamic problems that it, that it brings yeah. through. Um, so if corner, so the, one of the issues that corner crossing creates is, you know, is that a slippery slope? Does it go from corner crossing to I'm driving my truck across it to, you know, or my ATV or horses to driving my truck across it and accessing and technically, you know, am I on somebody else's land? You know, what, who is to, um, it's going to create a problem for law enforcement, number one, Mm -hmm. and it's going to create more conflict between landowners and DIY hunters or DIY people. Cause this is, this is bigger than, this is bigger than just hunting. This is fishing, recreating, four wheeling, you name it. It's, it's across the board. It started in hunting, but it's, it's comes across, it came across the board. So it's going to create more conflict. Um, those conflicts are going to be happening in the middle of nowhere, uh, typically in the dark because it's either coming or going and it's going to happen in, um, really, uh, really stressful time, stressful areas. Um, and it's going to happen in a problem. The other thing that's going to happen is the guys that the or the ranchers, the landowners that that used to let guys on there or cross their property are going to get fed up with constantly getting taken advantage of. Yeah. And so they're just going to shut it down. They're going to shut what they they were doing the walk in areas, the access yes areas, the the um, all that stuff, and they're just going to lease it. They're going to say, you know what, this isn't worth it. Here, Mister Outfitter, you take my property and and hunt it and and basically police it is what they're going to do Mm -hmm. and then you have conflicts between hunt between hunters and hunters which is outfitters and public land hunters that's one of the problems so you're going to pull so potentially going to be pulling acreage out of access uh, that is typically in access now and it could be i mean think about it a guy does access yes so there's a ranch that that we go through to hunt elk um, when I draw the tag, and the the whole ranch is access. Yes, you can. The whole ranch um, is hunter management, and so you can you can camp on their property. You know, there's a set of rules and stuff, but it's if if the, they didn't do that, it would be impossible to hunt this area. Yeah. Absolutely impossible. Well, if they start having conflicts and guys crossing corners into the they have a sanctuary there and what that is is they dump all their cows in this one area during hunting season and so you're not allowed to hunt that part of the ranch guys start corner crossing into that in the sanctuary and they shut the whole thing down it hurts everybody and i mean that's a potential thing so access pulling access or pulling hunters access out um and and the policing of it, in my opinion, is really, really going to be sticky because it it goes from walking from one corner to another to four-wheeling or to riding a bike, to riding a motorcycle, to riding a four-wheeler, to riding side-by-sides to pretty soon you're pulling, you know, campers and trucks and all that stuff across. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's just the human nature. That's how we work, unfortunately. Yeah. That's why there's laws anyway. Um, so... That's going to be an issue. Now, is there areas that uh, corner crossing is not going to affect? Uh, it's not going to change it. And actually it's going to access people that typically wouldn't access those areas are able to now and have um hunting opportunities that the landowners don't care. I'll give you some examples. The por- the Southern portion of, of Wyoming, every other section is owned by the railroad along the railroad corridor every other section. And so technically you're not allowed to hunt the every other section. Well, it opened up all of that property because the railroad's not going to care. They just don't. Yeah, They're not going to police it. They won't give you permission because of them worrying about the legality of it. Somebody shoots themselves or shoots their buddy on their property and are they legal for it, whatever. So they're not going to give you permission, but it's going to open up a ton of property down there and it's not going to have any effect no negative effect with the landowner oil uh, oil and gas the same thing there it's just going to open up a ton of stuff where it's going to be a problem is some of these large landowners that have enjoyed um you know enjoyed using the public land now they lease it for grazing and stuff but it's almost completely landlocked and so they they've look at it as their own property almost and they right. care for it as if it was their Which own property kind
0: of that's where your
1: conflict's going to happen Yeah, and um it's i wouldn't say it's over uh no. I, I know that every time you know when the first ruling came and they they didn't find the guys guilty of criminal charges everybody's like it's legal I was like uh, uh, wait wait it <laughs> <That laughs> yeah. doesn't make it legal right. <laughs> it just means that they didn't they didn't get, get fined for it yeah. just cuz i just because I uh, uh, got off on a, on a speeding ticket doesn't mean speeding is legal. Yeah. It's just that I got off on it for sure. Um, and then you know the civil suit is a very similar thing. you know it's not they're not calling it legal yet. Now it's, it's gonna have to go um, we, we have this conversation in our office a ton. So what does it have to you know where does it where does it go? Well, I was reminded by somebody that, that is a deep thinker in our office my brother, he said, you realize this is state by state. Each state is gonna have to make their law. And it's been proven over and over again with waterways. For instance, in Wyoming, you cannot, the land underneath the the public river is still private land. You can't stand on it. You can't anchor your boat in the middle of the river. You Mm. can't, that's illegal. Mm. Montana is a hundred year watermark. So wherever the hundred year flood plain is, everything below that including the riverbed is public land so you can hit a bridge walk down a river as far as you want all the way anywhere in montana till you hit wyoming and you hit wyoming on that river you can't you have to be floating the water is the only thing that's public okay so each state is going to have to come up with what their law and their rule is right and in my opinion this is a huge challenge because you're talking let's just talk out west but Technically, it's fifty states are going to have to make a ruling on which direction this goes. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: They'll start in Wyoming because that's where the hot button is, and then they'll go to Montana. Yeah, Um, Montana has avoided the thing forever because they've been the people up there have been trying this corner crossing thing for decades, and the state legislature has been avoiding it for a long time. Yeah, but uh, there's going to be pressure, especially now that they made it a a big. Uh, case, they're going to be pressured to do something with it. Yeah. Now, here's the other thing <laughs> that you have to remember a lot of these Western states, their legislatures are built with landowners because mm-hmm. who else can take off 40 days from January 10th until March, whatever, right, in the middle of the winter and live in the capital city and mm-hmm. do legislation? Most of those guys are landowners, ranchers, yep. and farmers that aren't doing much in the winter that that's going to be a sticky wicket in my opinion. And yeah, it's going to be a big battle.
0: Yeah. And you know, I think there's, there's, um, misbehavior, I guess I'll say on both sides. I mean, I personally have experienced, uh, ranch owners posting no trespassing signs on public land. I've been kicked off of public land by armed guards in New Mexico. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's because that, um, it was a gr- drug cartel no <laughs>
0: gosh, it's, we called it the elk cartel because they were acting like like they were they had people posted up on public roads they would follow us to our glassing spot and when we'd see elk on private they would get out of their truck and walk the elk back onto their ranch
1: yeah. um,
0: low flying helicopters um, oh, yeah. I've had um, you know I had a, I, I, out in Wyoming on the antelope hunt um, a while back I had um a a sign on a road that said no trespassing and i i talked to game and fish and i like did my homework and i was a hundred percent allowed to go through that road and ended up going through the road and killing an antelope so i mean and you know then there's idiots on the diy hunter side too that are gonna screw things like you said they're gonna try to
1: pull their atvs across you know and or just be hunting some guy i was i was in the field this this year in an elk area that's very checkerboarded and i'm I'm sitting on public land and I wouldn't say the landowner was trying to bully me. He would have if he if he'd have known if he didn't first ask where I was from and realize I grew up there. Yeah. So I, I knew I knew the people that he bought the place from. But <laughs> he he would have tried to bully me, guaranteed. Oh yeah. But we're sitting there on this road and the road and there's no fence between the public land and his property and all of a sudden a four wheeler comes across the road from his property to to where we're sitting pulls up and acts like nothing's wrong. The the rancher's like, who are you? And why are you on my chunk of property? Yeah. Well, I thought roads were uh, our public land, public access. Uh, No, that's not how it works. So it's both directions. I mean, for sure. Yeah. Both directions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it can be sticky. Um, Okay.
1: Here's one for you. Filming on wilderness. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I I will come out with an opinion on that. I think it is complete crap that you can't film on wilderness. Me too. I can take a photo if I'm just regular Joe and I can film on my cell phone if I'm just regular Joe. But if I'm actually promoting that that entity's uh, recreation, what that entity is built for, which is multiple use, mm-hmm. if I'm promoting the multiple use, I have to pay them for it. So let me get this straight. I'm paying you to promote you. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's illegal for me to carry around a camera the size of a loaf of bread and push a red button. And that's mechanical. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Right. Nobody better have a cell phone back there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah.
0: It's so wild, man. Like, I mean, those those laws were made for, like, you know, Hollywood productions, not well, for. And I've I've had I've had. BLM office people in Wyoming and Montana tell me that I fall on under casual use, um, and I'm not doing anything wrong. And so, but when it comes to wilderness federally designated and the other thing too, is some people just do it and no one cares. And then some people do it and they get, they get slapped around for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, so here's a interesting, uh, I call, we call them Forrest Gump moments. It's like Forrest Gump was always <laughs> always in the, you know, he was always yeah. in in everything that was popular during his time frame. But Forrest Gump moment. That, so that, um, that law was introduced by a Wyoming senator, Craig uh-huh. Thomas, introduced that. Because what happened is uh, Pontiac, which for those younger viewers, Pontiac used to be a car. and no longer exists. <laughs> at one point, they were a behemoth of GM. They went up to the uh, the Beartooth Wilderness up or Will Beartooth Highway, which goes through the wilderness up here in in Wyoming, and they made a car commercial. I just happened to be working in college for the for the Yellowstone Park in the in the road maintenance side of the world. Okay. And we maintain the Beartooth Highway, which is not in the Yellowstone. It's it is in the forest service, Wyoming and Montana. They, it's a long story on why they maintain it, it has to do with uh, an agreement on um, not, not developing a gold mine up there because all the water rolls into Yellowstone. So by doing that, by not giving the permits, they maintain the highway. Anyway, I'm working as a, just a laborer and we put in these snow poles, which is a, is a, a sapling tree with the limbs taken off of it that we cut, sharpen one in and you pound them in the ground. That way when, because they don't plow it in the winter. So when they come back the next spring to plow it, those poles are sitting up and they can tell where the roads are. And then they oh, you okay. know, obviously dig down to the roadway. And that's what I did all summer. We had just finished that. And this was uh, like August. And they came, Pontiac came up and did a commercial and tore out like five miles of those <laughs> snow poles. And made a complete mess of, you know, parking vehicles off into uh, waterways and all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. And so my boss got on the phone with his boss and we went down, they went down the road and they enacted this thing that if you read the law, it says for commercial use. And when you read, when you watch, when he introduced that bill, his intent was not for commercial in a sense of industry or business. It was in the sense of making a commercial or <laughs> a, th- or a, it's commercial or major, uh, major motion, motion, motion picture yeah. where they're actually disturbing things. It is yeah. not meant for you and your camera guy right. to wander around and do the same thing that you and your cousin would do Yeah, without a camera. Exactly. And, and i, I really like, thought we were gonna get ro- inroads when that guy in washington i think it was in virginia actually where they where he they pinched him and they ran it all the way up the flagpole yeah i really thought that was gonna help but yeah i
0: felt like i almost felt like uh it was a gray area and the government like intentionally wanted to keep it a gray area because they they yes. kind of knew that it would probably get struck down if it went up but yep. uh i don't know i talked yep. to dan the other day and it sounded like it was kind of gray and now it's almost back to being like straight up
1: illegal. Yep. Yep. You have to, it's always, it actually, it's always been illegal in the wilderness. And and they, the way that they spun that is because of um, the mechanics, you know, no mechanical devices in the wilderness. That's why you mm. can't ride a bike and you can't use a chainsaw and all that stuff. Mm. But in the forest service with the permits, the filming permits and every single forest service does it different. And I'm not talking, statewide i'm talking one forest service here in cody their permit process is one way and you go to jackson and it's completely different yeah and they're in the same region it should just be one one permit i don't that's fine if you want to permit and make sure that we're not doing anything crazy and we're not a major motion picture or whatever that's fine but don't make me do one at every single hunting area that's that's insane
0: yeah like check what you're doing and verify it and then let let it go Ah oh, man, um, well, I got about seven other things on the list here I want to talk to you about, but uh, I don't think <laughs> okay. that's happening today. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I know Eastman's got some cool stuff, um, like a Tag Hub two point and I think you got like a, yeah. a mule deer course and stuff. And yep, um, I'd love to hear just a little bit about that, and um, and where people can can find that stuff, yeah. and uh, and then kind of what you know, what's what's the future? What's the future look like for you and for Eastman's?
1: Yeah, so um we did uh, just launch we did a soft launch on tag hub 2.0 which integrates uh, maps and a mapping software uh, so you can really dive down into your hunting area uh, as well as the searchability and sortability on on this tag hub 2.0 is is 10 times anything we've ever done and anybody else has ever done it's unbelievable being able to say okay i have six points for elk in wyoming you know show me the areas that that have a 20 percent draw odd or or less or 20 percent draw odd or more or you know where where can i draw it 100 um, percent. that sort of ability is unbelievable so it can take something that could take hours down to a sheer few minutes and be able to e-scout your area um mm-hmm. and and do pins in you know waypoints and all that stuff plus it's a place that you can keep track of in your user profile you can keep track of because if you're like me i'm going how many deer or you know how many deer points do i have in idaho or in uh, colorado and how many sheet points and i mean i'm from wyoming i should know i have max points (laughs) but i can't remember what max is because it changes every year well it's just a place that keeps track of all that so when you log in it shows you hey you know, that you have this many sheet points and then it also sends you notifications of, Hey, this is app, you know, you got two weeks for your application on this, in this state for these species, that type of stuff. Cool. Um, Pretty simple stuff, but it's really, really powerful. And it's only, it's going to get more and more powerful in the next six months as we roll out some other additional features that fit with this, within this framework. Um, And then to add to that, um, we did a, a mule deer course, which is an online video series, A to Z on how to hunt mule deer. And Guy and Dan and and Brian uh, are the the faces behind that. Nice. And and they walk through everything from the gear you need to glassing strategies to rack bracketing. You know what, how do you tell if it's a one one thirty versus a one sixty, and how do you you know all of that stuff. Plus uh, it's archery stocking, you know, so they do an archery section as well as a rifle hunting section. And the difference oh, cool. is there. Different types of camping, if it's backpack versus truck camping versus desert versus high country, all that. And um, it up, we're upgrading it constantly. So we're constantly making changes to it and, up, you know, making nice. it better with new strategies as the gear changes. Hey, guys, check this out. We just did one the other day on bino harnesses. It was me, it was, it was myself, Bran, or uh, myself, Dan, and, and Brian, and talking about the different vinyl harnesses that we use, which we all use different for different reasons. Hmm. And it was just a conversation which makes people go, oh yeah, I'm, I'm more like that, or that's a good idea. Um, just stuff like that. Um, and then, of course, you know, all the digital prop platforms, the podcast stuff, the growth there is unbelievable. Yeah, you YouTube guys just launched a is... new
0: one, didn't you, with Brian yeah. and Dan?
1: Yeah. Yeah, Brian and Dan, uh, the the EBJ podcast, which is probably at some point going to be a subscription based podcast because the information that they're those guys are really getting behind the the uh, paywall as far as the type of information they're given. It's really really in depth, and uh, you know they need they need to be paid for that time for and, sure. and that knowledge that they've learned that, that they're going to help guys flatten that curve in archery hunting. And, totally. and keep them informed of stuff that new stuff and stuff that they're learning. So that's probably going to, at some point be my pineap a subscription-based paywall. Uh, but it is out there. And then, uh, mine, which I, we talked about a little bit about, you know, talking with really neat people and uh, great conversations about who they are, which is fun. I did one. Yeah. I did one with Aaron Snyder and it was pretty entertaining. He's oh, he an interesting cat.
0: Yeah. He's a hoot.
1: <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, so that's kind of the, the stuff that we got going on, of course, of the magazines and linear TV as well. But, yeah. um, and then, you know, the future of it, it's, it's really about what we do is we just try and make, uh, help make hunters, better hunters through entertainment. And it's not just us saying, Hey, here's the best pack, or here's a, here's a glassing strategy, but it's also a place that allows other hunters to share their story and the stuff that they've learned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know and and to help everybody even if your are seasoned, been hunting your whole life you'll always pick up two or three things and yeah. it's, you know well god that's a good idea never thought of that um, and that's really the future of Eastman's is just doing the same thing that we've been doing just changing how we deliver it and where we sure. deliver it cool so,
0: yeah you guys yeah. have kind of been on the cutting edge of like outdoor media since silent films that's pretty awesome <laughs>
1: we've tried it's uh it's been it's been quite the journey quite the yeah quite the uh, experience for sure
0: yeah man well really appreciate your time it's been great getting to know you a little bit and uh you know some podcasts as you know are kind of dragged by and some fly by so this one flew by (laughs) so maybe one day we can sit down again do another one or something
1: yeah yeah keep those questions i'll uh i'll I'll answer them next time for sure for sure
0: dude all right man well thanks again and. yeah. And where can folks find, I guess, you know, if they want to look into more of what you got going, like what's the best place to go to find your all stuff?
1: Yeah. Eastman's.com. Um, of course Eastman's hunting journals is the handle for YouTube pod, uh, YouTube and, and the social media. Uh, that's the flagship magazine and, and, uh, it's either Eastman's hunting journals or Eastman's.com. You'll find cool. everything there.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again, man. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank you, Hunter.
1: Appreciate it.